Well, good morning. <clears throat> you know, I thought about coming up here uh, with some, my hair spiked up, an old um, robe, and a sandwich board uh, on the front and the back of me saying, the end is near. You know, that picture that we see of, of those crazy prophets walking through the streets of New York City. I, I decided against it because I wanted to wear my suit. But I do believe that we are living in the end times. The signs of Jesus' return are all around us, and we need to be prepared. You know, two years ago at this time, I was coming to a different end, the end of my career in education. My retirement was coming up. I had taught music for 10 years. I taught in our Christian schools, uh, our church's Christian school. I substitute taught for 10 years. I also taught for 26 years handicapped preschoolers, and the end was near. I remember my grandkids, Caitlin and Jonathan, made me this paper chain to count down the days until my retirement, and I would cut off one of them every day. I knew the exact number of days until I was retired. And, uh, but the thing is, nobody knows the exact number of days until Jesus will return, when the end will finally be here. And we've been waiting for years. Considering my retirement, I was nervous about our financial situation. You know, would I have to do some subbing after that six-month waiting period? On the positive side, we planned so many trips to visit friends and relatives. We love going to concerts, so we had planned out at least one or two concerts every month that we would go to. And uh, we had fun vacations with the kids and the grandkids. All of those things were planned. And then COVID-19 showed up. We had to readjust all of our plans and focus on what really mattered. And that's us, the family, our own families, the family of God. Those are the things that we have to focus on. And now after a year of the quarantine, we're beginning to come back to some semblance of our, of our original plans. Uh, a few weeks ago, Mary Beth and I were watching an online concert of a group called Sidewalk Prophets. They're great. And the song that they sang was called Let Go Your Troubles. Uh, and in that song, it's, it had this phrase, you're so afraid that you'll be afraid that you become afraid. Isn't that the way our life is? We've been living in a time of fear for so long. But the end is near, and we need to, as the song says, let go your troubles and wave goodbye. If you get a chance, uh, ask your Alexa to, say, to play Let Go Your Troubles by Sidewalk Prophets. You'll be blessed by their ministry. Uh, at the beginning of the month, I was reading my daily Bible reading, and, and uh, April 1st, they had the scripture that uh, we're going to be talking about today. And I knew when I read that, this was the one that I needed to share with you. And so if you could get your Bibles out and turn to the book of uh, 1 Peter, it's right be, um, in back of uh, Hebrews and James, and then you got 1 Peter. And we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 today. And we're going to take some time to unpack what Peter was saying to the church of his time. So 1 Peter, chapter 4 starting with verse 7. Read with me. The end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he ends with this kind of prayer. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter starts by saying that the end of all things is near. Therefore... There are four things that we ought to be doing. And the first one has to do with making our prayers more appropriate and effective. More appropriate and effective. And, and he says, in all of your prayers. I get, let me go back to that. I'll get there. The The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Uh, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a suffering church. The church had been suffering at this time, and he was writing to give comfort and practical ways for them to live in the midst of the suffering that they were going through. He, uh, throughout the book, he expresses and emphasizes hope. He tells them more suffering is to come. And I think that's true today too. More suffering is to come. But he says the end is at hand. One of the scholars that I read said that Peter was telling the believers that all the major events of God's redemption have already occurred. All things are ready for Christ's return. And I believe that's true. The time is right. Everything is ready for Christ's return. As we look at our place in history, we affirm that, but we can see the signs of the times all around us, and we realize that Jesus Christ's return is imminent. Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Then Peter says, therefore, there are some practical things that you need to do since time is short. How can you make your prayers more effective and more appropriate? Well, the first thing he says is by having sound judgment, having a sound mind, thinking about and evaluating situations maturely and correctly. How do you do that? You get this word in here and in here. You, you put it in your heart and you put it in your mind. You study it. You constantly read it. Day by day, you're meditating on God's word. And when we have God's word in us, then we can correctly evaluate the circumstances of our lives. We become more mature, and we can pray in a more effective and more appropriate manner. So that's the first thing. The second thing, he says to be sober. And that word sober is basically talking about the sin of drunkenness, of, of being intoxicated, that we need to stay away from that. We need to stay away from intoxication. But he has more in mind than just that drunkenness. He, he's talking about 
not allowing your mind to wander into any other kind of mental intoxication, addiction, if you will, which inhibits your spiritual alertness, and it takes away from the effectiveness and appropriateness of your prayers. You know, it's not just the bad things that he had in mind, but good things too. Your career, your possessions, recreation, reputation, all of these things are good things, but sometimes we put too much focus on that. We become intoxicated with those things. We, 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 we become uh, drunk, if you will, in our career and our possessions and our recreations. It is so easy as for, for us to allow good or bad things to get in the way of our intimate communion, our prayer with God. We need to flee from those sins and those idols. Prayer based on knowledge and mature evaluation of the situation is more effective prayer. So those two things will make your prayers more effective. <clears throat> One of the preachers that we listened to a couple of weeks ago had this phrase, and I, I just loved it. I wanted to share it with you. We tend to forget the things we ought to remember, and we remember the things we ought to forget. Let me say that again. We tend to forget the things we ought to remember, and we remember the things we ought to forget. Wow. God wants us to remember the good things. God wants us to forget the past. God wants us to focus on those things. And as we pray, as we focus in on him, God will help us to do that. Simone Weil said this, we must not wish for the disappearance of any of our troubles, but grace to transform them. For prayers to be more effective and appropriate, we need to think clearly about our circumstances. We need to view our world through God's eyes. We remember the things we ought to remember, and we forget the things we ought to forget. Authentic prayer includes listening to God and responding to Him. Our spiritual vitality depends on our prayer lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, real quickly, just says, Pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop. Whenever you face a troublesome circumstance, our first reaction needs to be to pray, to bring it before the Lord, and to pray for that to be resolved in our life. We need to make prayer uh, an instant part of our daily life all the time. Amen? We need to be praying about everything. And so that's one area that we need to, to, to be better in our prayer. The Hebrews 4.16, let me go to that one. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody in a time of need? Amen. We are. We have needs all the time. And Hebrews 4.16 says to come boldly to the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy, God's mercy, and God's grace. We can do nothing without his mercy and grace. We need to bring everything to God in prayer. He gives us mercy and he gives us grace 
in every circumstance. Prayer is essential. One of the other uh, books that I was reading about this section uh, mentioned that Peter may have been reminded of his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 26 and verse 40. Matthew 26, verse 40. I'll get there. It always takes us a little time to do that, doesn't it? And if you remember, Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he had taken three of his disciples with him, Peter being one of them, and, and he told them to watch and pray with him. And, and, and he, he, he told them, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pray, and, and he prayed, and then he came back, and this is what he, he said, and he came back to the disciples, and he found them sleeping, and said to Peter, so, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, Peter, uh, I think, may have been reminded of that time when Jesus came back to him. Three times Jesus asked Peter to watch and pray with him, and three times he and the disciples failed and fell asleep. How many times is Jesus asking us to wait with him in prayer? We're supposed the end is near. He's going to come, but we need to be waiting, and we need to be in prayer for him. And Peter, I think he was trying to get across to those, those people who are going through suffering, hey, I'm not going to fall asleep again. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to be praying when Jesus Christ comes. The end is at hand. Pray. You know, one of the best ways I think we do that here at, at Grace Fellowship is through our grace groups. How many of you are in grace groups? Amen. I can mentally see all of you people raising your hands. Grace groups are one of the big things that we do is we pray. We get together on Thursday nights and, and we go over our praises and our prayers and we talk to one another, and we share our needs. A couple of weeks ago, uh, one of our members, Manny Encarnacion, and his wife, Nancy, lost his mother. And she went to be with the Lord, so it's a glorious homecoming. But they were going through grief. And so we spent time last week just putting them kind of in the hot seat uh, on Zoom meeting and praying for them, everybody praying for them. There wasn't a dry eye in the houses People get uh, ministered to when we pray. It's important for us to pray for one another. Be praying for them, too. Uh, we love Manny and Nancy, and we know that, uh, that God is with them and that God is going to take them through this time of grieving. Now, the second thing that Peter is telling us about is that uh, the priority and the power of agape love. And if you look at verse 8, Verse 8 says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, Peter speaks of the priority of love. 
Such love needs to be fervent, earnest. It's a continuous action of unconditional love. That word there is agape. It's God's love for us. It's, it's unconditional. There's no hooks in it. Uh, there is no uh, return on investment required. God loves with an unconditional love. And that's the kind of love we are to have one to another. Where love abounds, offenses are readily overlooked and forgotten. I don't know how many churches have been torn apart because love was lacking. And when love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. But love needs to abound. We're to have this kind of fervent love for one another. And when we do, God is going to be glorified in that. Um, and, and so the second thing he says is that we are to have this kind of fervent love because love covers a multitude of sins. That's love's power in our lives. It doesn't ignore the reality of sin, nor does it justify sin, nor does it condone sin. Love motivates us to be forgiven and to forgive. You know, last week Doug was sharing about Peter's transformation from failure to forgiveness on the beach with Jesus. Three times he asked him, do you agape me? Uh, two times. And then the third time, do you phileo me? That's the kind of love that we're to have one for another. But when we forgive, when we miss the mark, we can be transformed by the power of God's love. We can be forgiven. Galatians 6.2 says that we ought to bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. We need to bear one another's burdens. In those great grace groups, that's what we're doing. We're bearing one another's burdens. The prayer list that gets sent out every week, that's for us to pray and bear one another's burdens. And, and when we bear those things, uh, it's easier to go through. It's, it's easier to, to be able to walk our life the way Jesus wants us to do. Our church's motto says to love God, love people, and change the world. Love must be our priority, and it is the power to change our lives and to change the world. We need to look for ways to love one another fervently, fervently. Look for ways to make that a reality. Amen? And then this brings us to uh, Peter's third point, and, and that is hospitality without grumbling. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Without complaint. Um, hospitality. Fervent love which seeks the good of others, what we just talked about before one's own, finds its practical expression in hospitality. Peter tells them to be hospitable without complaint. No grumbling or murmuring. No saying, oh, gee, do we have to do that again? Do we have to go to the grace group again? No, we, we don't have to complain about stuff. We don't have to... Uh, have that kind of an attitude. We need to have a proper attitude. Ultimately, you know, repeated words of complaint will stir up rebellion in your soul. Ultimately, it's, it's a complaint against God 
and his ordering of our circumstances. It steals our joy. We become so afraid that we'll be afraid that we become afraid. So let go of your troubles and be hospitable, especially towards the family of God. You know, back in Peter's day, there were no hotels and no ways of, of staying anywhere. You had to go and find uh, some place to stay with, with uh, somebody's family. And so hospitality was something that, that had to be done. And I'm pretty sure there is a lot of grumbling going on because that's just our human nature to do that. But Peter recommends us to have a better attitude. The early church was really a great example of hospitality. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and let's take a look at what the early church was like. Acts chapter 2, and verse 42 through 47. This is what happened after Peter preached that great sermon and 3,000 people got saved, and this is what those 3,000 people did. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone have, might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow, what a great picture of hospitality. They had all things in common. They ate together daily, and they were devoted to teaching and to fellowship. We were able to make a quick trip over to uh, um, Apache Junction to see Mary Beth's mom and uh, stepdad. And uh, we were able to go to Cracker Barrel. It's one of our favorite places to be. We haven't been able to go out and have a meal together, but we were able to go in. Uh, they were at 100% occupancy but we found a little uh, round table that everybody could sit around, and we had a wonderful time sharing bread together and talking about things of the Lord and being able to, to have that kind of, of time together. Uh, it was exciting, but that's the kinds of things that, that, that they were doing. They were in relationship with others. Uh, they, um, those relationships with one another empower us to be able to change the world. God wants us to be hospitable to everyone, especially those in the church. And as we start to come back together, I urge you to, to, to think about those times and make them a priority. We need to be together. We need to be hospitable, one-on-one, -on -one, and, and taking time to share with one another. Uh, that's an important part of waiting for Jesus to come. And the final point that Peter tells the church is to be a, a minister of the gospel. And I, I put it this way, glorify God by using your gift, by using your gift. And if you look at verse 10, it says this, 
as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The text says that each of us has been given a charisma, that Greek word charisma, a gift. And there's a variety of gifts which we are to use to glorify God and to benefit the body of Christ. It's, it's any talent or ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. You know, and I want you to be clear. They're not just natural abilities or talents. I play a musical instrument. That's, that's something that I learned to do. It's something that I practiced and I, I became good at. It, it's not a spiritual gift, but it's a gift that I use in ministry to the church too. Um, so they, they can, those kinds of things can be gifts that can be used for the church. But the spiritual gifts are grace gifts of the Holy Spirit given only to those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit. They're not static. Like the Holy Spirit, they're dynamic. They, they move and flow. There, there are times when you may be moving in one gift or another gift, but those gifts are there, and the Spirit gives them as He wills. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 just basically says that. As the Spirit wills. The Spirit will move us. It's the Spirit that does it. And it goes on to say we do it in the strength of the Spirit. The purpose of the gift is to serve. Diakonos is the Greek word that's used there. And, and basically that's where we get our term deacon. And, and that's someone who serves or ministers. You know, we believe that the whole church is filled with ministers. Every believer is to be a minister of the gospel. Everyone is to use your gift. God's rule for gifts is that we use them for the benefit of others. And we are to serve as a good steward. In those times, a steward was a slave. And his job, his sole purpose, was to please his master. So we're to use that gift that we've given to serve as a steward, as a slave thinking all the time, what does the master want? What does the master need? How can I serve the master better? Jesus is our master. And we need to have that idea when we're talking about our gifts and our strengths. And, and again, he says, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own strength. You don't have to do it. It's the Holy Spirit that moves through you. As you allow the Spirit to use your gift, great things are going to happen. And we see that all the time around here. Some of you have had the fixers come out and, and minister to you in a very specific way. And that's a blessing. That's a, an example of God being glorified by the church using their, their gifts to benefit one, of the, one another. Another great example was yesterday morning when Doug was moving out of the parsonage and into his new uh, house, 
There was lots of people there that made that, that job happen very quickly. God bless you for using your gift to glorify God by moving Pastor Doug. See, those are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. How can we best serve our master? What can we do that will be a blessing to the church and to God? Uh, let's open your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. And, and here's Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Okay, and Jesus is talking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, what we're waiting for, with the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say unto you, to the extent that you did it to one of these, my brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus describes those who in the world's standards have little or nothing to offer us in return for our service. They're the men and the women that, uh, of the, and children of the world that are often overlooked, if not completely forgotten. Yet it's exactly these people who Jesus elevates to such a beautiful status. Whatever you did for them, you did it for me. That's the kind of love that we need to do. That's the kind of, of service that we need to have one for another. We need to be looking for those opportunities. I read this on April 12th in our Daily Bread. His name is Spencer, but everyone calls him Spence. He was a state track champion in high school, and then he went on to attend a prestigious university on a full academic scholarship. He lives now in one of America's largest cities and is highly respected in the field of chemical engineering. But if you ask him his greatest achievements to date, he wouldn't mention any of those things. He would excitedly tell you about the trips he makes to Nicaragua every few months to check on the kids and teachers in the tutoring program that he helped to establish in one of the poorest areas of the country. And he'd tell you how enriched his life has been serving them. 
Mary Beth and I have been blessed to be a part of Reigning Hope. You know, Evie comes and, and Doug has been there. My daughter uh, Kelly has been to Reigning Hope several times and, and we've ministered to those people. Wells of Hope. Francis Susubi was, was here with us and part of us, and now he has a ministry to uh, the children of prisoners in, in Ugandan prisons. Um, the Riverside City Mission in our city out in Moreno Valley uh, has, uh, gives to people who are in need. They have places for them to live. They have food. They have uh, uh, sh shelter. They have clothing. They have everything that are given to the least of those, my brother, and a host of other ministries. We've been blessed to be able to be a part of that. Through our giving, we are serving the least of these, my brethren. And that's just one way that we can do that. And that's, especially in America, that's something that, that we need to do is to, to invest our money into those kinds of groups. That's how we can glorify God. That's how we can use our gifts to touch the least of these, my brethren. The Westminster Catechism says it this way, the chief aim of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. We glorify God by using our gifts to the least of these, my brethren. In conclusion, I just want to remind you, your life is not a marathon. It's a relay. You carry the baton for a while, and then you pass it on to the next person. Peter started this relay all the way back in biblical times, and we are continuing to pass the baton. We're not intended to carry it forever, but when it's time, we need to step up and carry the baton. The end is at hand, and Peter says we need to pray appropriately and effectively. Peter says, we need to love one another fervently. Peter says, we need to be more hospitable to the body of Christ and the world. And we need to glorify God by ministering our gifts to one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that even though we know that the end is near, that you are coming soon, Lord, and we, and we cry, come quickly. Lord, help us to be alert. Help us not to fall asleep, Lord, but to continue to pray, to continue to be hospitable, to continue to love, to continue to use our gifts to benefit one another and the world. Lord, help us to empow be empowered by your Holy Spirit. Work in and through us, Lord, to do what you have called us to do as the church of Jesus Christ here in Duarte. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Continue that and be blessed in all of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to leave you with the benediction from that last section, and uh, it goes like this. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.
We'll see you next week.